morning, everyone. Junior Church, four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed to walk up front for Junior Church. Um, I, I'm going to need a, a bit of a help from the rest of you here. Um, some of the people got home pretty late from going to state. Uh, the band, the winter percussion, went to state. They didn't get home till like 2 a.m. And then, so some of them might be tired. So if you see anyone nodding off, and I'm not going to say names, but if you see them, all I want you to do is get real close to them and lovingly say, Hallelujah! Just to help wake them up, okay? And then nobody will know because you're just saying something about the sermon, right? Okay? This year we're going through the Gospels uh, to closely examine the life of Jesus. In this uh, past sermon series, we've looked through the various individuals of the, the birth of Christ, the Christmas event. We started with the parents, uh, with Mary and Joseph, and uh, how they can. How they were confused, um, perplexed at this event and how that could happen, what it was meaning. And yet God called them. And through God's calling, he equips them and encourages them just like he calls and equips us. We looked at the shepherds and how God called them and called them to be seeking Jesus, to not just be looking at the stars, looking for the signs of Jesus, but then actively engaging that and sharing that with others. Last week, we looked at the wise men, the magi, and looked at the true meaning of worship. Today, we're going to look at one more character of the Christmas event, and that's King Herod. Every story has the bad guy. Um, whether it's Cinderella's evil stepmother, Snow White's jealous queen, or 101 Dalmatians' Cruella de Vil. And, and I think there's something weird here. If you look at a lot of the villains in Disney films... They seem to be women. That is wrong. That is wrong, okay? Because they're called bad guys, all right? few of you guys were like, oh, goody, he's going to say it. No, I'm not. No. Okay. But there are bad guys out there. Sometimes the bad guys have cool toys, okay? Um. There is a person in this church attending today who really likes bad guys. He thinks they have the coolest stuff. Okay? And, and he's always like, yeah, I want to be that, but also be good. We've got to quit lifting up bad guys. A lot of the stories today in movies and stuff, they are taking the bad guys and not making them not so bad. They're relatable. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't do that with this bad guy. When we look at this bad guy, he's actually someone we already can relate to, and yet Scripture calls us and pulls us away from that to put us on a better path. So we're going to look at King Herod, learn from his failures, so we can stand in stronger faith. We need to understand and admit who we are. We need to understand our struggles and admit our problems it exposes who we are and how we respond to negative events in our lives says a lot about who we truly are. I grew up loving to scare people. I just like to startle them. I still do it. And I did it to Oz and John the other day. And when you scare someone, you're going to see their initial response. Whether they scream. It's so fun to make a teenage boy scream like a girl. Okay. 
whether, um, no, Oz, you didn't scream, but you, okay, whether they, they whimper a little bit, flex. One guy, when I was in the factory working with John Campbell, I came up behind him and he was focused on his job, making sure there was no bad things happen. And I was like, all right, John, here we go. And I whistled really loud and I was this close behind him. And his initial response was, and he stopped about three inches from my nose. And he goes, you're lucky. I'm like, yes, I am. Never scared John. John Campbell. John Campbell. So we see a lot of their initial response. When something happens, how you respond says a lot about who you are. As we take a closer look at this threatened king... Um, featured in the Christmas story of chapter 2, we're going to learn about King Herod and how we need to avoid falling into the same way of life. I think there's a message for us as we look at the life of the one who is not found occupying the stall, but the one who is not worshiping the Christ child, not bringing gifts, but sitting on his own throne. This questionable character, as we see the, the effects of a throning ourselves and trying to take Jesus out of the picture. When we looked at the four Gospels, we saw Matthew looked at Jesus as the king, right? And so that's going to be kind of an underlying theme here. So in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. There's a good reason all of Jerusalem is troubled. When Herod gets upset, he takes it out on all the people around him. And right here you see the sneak peek into the heart of King Herod. What we see is Herod had an unguarded heart. It was unguarded. It was open. It was wide open to things. Now this Herod. Herod the Great is a descendant of Esau, a traditional enemy of the Jews. He was a con convert to Judaism, but his conversion was probably just politically motivated because all he was really seeking was power, position, and wealth. It was towards the close of his reign that these wise men from the east came in search of the one who was born king, not who worked his way to becoming king. Even in the commencement of our searching to understand who Herod was, we already see a glimpse of his heart. He's not protected. He, the door had been swung wide open, and all these outside influences are hitting him. I read this um, a week or so ago. If you live in a graveyard too long, you'll stop crying when someone dies. I've been asked many times how I, I go to lots of funerals. I participate in them, and one guy, he came up to me, he goes, you just seem so stoic. How, how do you get over it? I'm like, you, you don't get over it. I, I've tried to learn to mask some of that emotion, but I'll tell you, when I see my people hurting, it hurts. And if I ever lose that, then I failed as a minister. And so I want to make sure I keep open to that. Well, if you live in that and keep yourself just um, apathetic towards it, you grow immune. And that's what that statement means. You grow immune to death and all it represents. When you live in the darkness of sin, 
For too long, you grow immune to sin and all that it represents. Herod's heart had become cold and hard, and he settles into a place where there was void of godly light. So Herod's disturbed by this news of the, the birth of this guy who was born king. Any king would be anxious about somebody coming up and saying, Hey, you've got a job right now, but there's somebody who's coming who's taking your place. Dr. William Barclay, theologian and writer, teaches that people are in three categories. And um, this shouldn't be on the screen, but I, I want you to hear this, okay? Three categories when we come to Christ. And it's, it's in this uh, Christmas story that we hear. First, we are fearful that Jesus would interfere with our plans and purpose. You can first be scared that Jesus, if you come into contact with him, he's going to uproot your life and change it. And you don't like that. Two, you can be indifferent. Jesus means absolutely nothing to you. So you're scared he's going to change it all and you're not going to like it. You are indifferent. You don't really care. Or third, you approach Christ in worship and offering gifts of not just things but your life. The wise men that we looked at last week are in that, gift category, or that category three. The chief priests and the scribes were in category two. They didn't care that this guy was born king of the Jews. They didn't really care about Jesus. King Herod is in that first. By coming into contact with Jesus, he knew there was going to be something that changed his life, and he did not want that. Herod was so full of fear that he made an effort to destroy this little child, the one born king. And the question each one of us should answer is, where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in always category three, where you're ready to give gifts, to say, God, here I am, I'm coming to offer? Are there times in your life where you come and say, I, I don't really care. I don't care if you're involved in my life, I'm doing it this way. Or are there times that you come up and say, God, I know you're real, I know you're the Savior, but I don't like what I think you're going to do. And it scares you. All of us want to say we're in category three. Many of us fall into category one so often. Ebenezer Scrooge is a fictional character in Charles Dickinson's novel um, in 1843 entitled The Christmas Carol. And it's, it's a great little story. I think a better version was told by Dr. Seuss with the Grinch. It's the exact same story just animated with weird things versus life story. I, had, I read that King Herod was the uh, forerunner of both Ebenezer and the Grinch combined when it comes to the event. Long before the day where we would uh, contact selfish, hard-hearted Scrooge or being called a Grinch, there was one who distanced himself for the reason of the season of Christmas, because he unguarded his heart. And this all comes from Proverbs 4.23. Look and listen. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You and I are commanded to guard our heart. What we allow in is going to determine how we set our life and the direction and the things we're going to have influence. What we allow in is going to tell us what we're going to say, think, and do. 
And so we need to guard it. And I love how it says, guard it above all else. Make sure, make this a priority. Herod had a heart that was unguarded. And because of that, because they faced this really weird um, situation, when faced with this situation, he came up with an unacceptable scheme. Now, schemes are conjured up every day, some good, some not good. One harmless scheme you might think is uh, to laugh about these two sisters, Sarah, who was very young, and her 13-year-old sister above her. These two girls had been fighting. It's spring break, right? We've had all the kids at home. Aren't we ready for tomorrow? Let's send them back to school, right? I'm talking to the parents right now, okay? Well, these two girls were fighting, and Sarah's parents tried to take advantage. And they thought, you know what? This was around Thanksgiving time. We're going to trick our youngest daughter and remind them that Santa was watching. And so the mom, at one point, yelling at the littlest sister, says, I'm going to have to tell Santa about your behavior. And the little girl's like, nah. And so this mom goes over and picks up the phone and dials and then starts talking. And this little girl's eyes get wide because she says, Mrs. Claus, which was really the mom's sister. So it was this girl's aunt at this time. Said, uh, could you put Santa on the line? And this little girl's mouth went, and it got worse as she started hearing her mom describe her horrid behavior and how she treated her sister. And then the mom did something beautiful. He wants to talk to you. Uh, Sarah's uncle was on the phone, making a voice a little deeper. Santa, in a deepened voice, explained to her how there will be no presents Christmas morning to children who fought with their sisters. He's watching, and he's expecting things to be better from now on. Sarah nodded at each one of those remarks and then hung up the phone and handed it to her mom. And her mom said, so what did Santa say? Sister's not getting any presents. The scheme didn't work, did it? Let's look at Herod's scheme in chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly to ascertain from them what time the star, had, the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. God warned the wise men in, not, in a dream not to go back to King Herod. And so you jump down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. This scheme that he came up with, he was so furious, he ordered to kill toddlers. We cannot mistake this. We cannot just brush over this. This is an unacceptable scheme, an unimaginable plan. How could anyone ever think of a plan to go kill children? I've told you many times, when you come here and you've got a little baby, you have to let me hold the child because I want to hold your child. And my wife and I are going to fight over who gets to hold the child first. And unfortunately, you guys let her win more often. you got to stop. Okay? Because we love children. 
we love children. We got to hold babies yesterday, and we got to see them and hear them and play with them. Children are amazing, and yet King Herod was so furious that he ordered to kill them. Can you imagine a government wanting to kill babies? Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Only those whose hearts are unprotected, reckless, and unguarded would want to do that. I read a comparison between King Herod and Jesus, and this will be up here, but it said, Herod had magnificence while Christ was born in a manger. Herod had control while Christ was this helpless baby. Herod had power. He used it for control while Christ had compassion and used it differently. Herod was shrewd while Christ was honest. And looking at that, Herod had all of Jerusalem with him, while Jesus seemed to be alone. Which one's going to be the winner? Which one is going to take home the prize? Obviously, in the worldly standards, it's going to be King Herod. And there's a lot of evil, there's a lot of bad things that happen. But if you notice, if you go back to that, when he was furious, why did he pull the wise men in secretly? to ascertain where this was. Go and find... He didn't want people to know that he was admitting he'd go worship this child. He already had the plan. But instead of killing one, he had to kill all of them. There's a lot of evil, a lot of bad things that happen in this world. And when we are confronted with unsettling news, if our heart is unprotected, if it is unguarded, we're going to fall into making unacceptable schemes. This is why so many scandals, so many corruption charges, so many broken families are out there. When we leave our heart unguarded, an unacceptable scene comes from Satan. It invades into our hearts and minds. And once what, uh, what was once unacceptable becomes now the solution. And that's how it happens. Herod was a man with an unguarded heart. An unacceptable scheme happened. And finally, he had an unavoidable end. Whether we like it or not, our days are numbered. Our number is going to be called. Our calling is going to be come to. It's an unavoidable end. Herod's death came, and it's briefly mentioned in 19, the same verse where it says, The Lord... Uh, sent an angel to appear to Joseph in a dream, giving them instructions. Hey, by the way, the bad guy's dead. You guys can go back home. Herod the Great, the name often attached to him, drew his last breath, just as numerous others before him, and one day we are going to draw our last breath. But this is not Herod's final breath that we should be troubled by the many breaths he took before that in his lifetime, the life he lived. We see much of who he was outlined in Matthew 2. It has been said that Herod was so jealous of his favorite wife that on two occasions he left orders that she would be killed if he failed to return from some dangerous engagement. That's his favorite wife. Didn't you get that? Then he finally killed her anyway just to make sure he would be safe. As well as her grandfather, mother, brother-in-law, and three of his sons, 
plus hundreds of his subjects. Caesar Augustus observed, and he said this, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. A pig has more likely to live than Herod's offspring. That's the legacy King Herod left. We, live, uh, we read of King Herod's life and the lives of so many others who openly engage in cruel intent and our jaw can just hit the floor. We can't understand. How can somebody so cold and calloused, uncaring and unyielding, how could anyone rise to such power? And then we can look and say that innocent child, the Christ child, how could anyone want to hurt him, not just him, but all these other children? And right there we need to understand something. It is for, and I really want you to hear this, with all that evil that is in him, it is for the Herods of this world that Jesus came. It is for the Herods of this world that Jesus went to the cross. It is for the Herods in this room that Jesus came and died so that we could leave that life and come into a real relationship, a real life with God. in front of you did not meet that unavoidable end. But I was given a different chance. At times it gets really hard to guard our hearts with all the stuff in this world. Proverbs 4.23, we're going to look at that but following. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. That means bad things. Okay, just so you know. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. You want to know how to guard your heart. This is what the scriptures. Solomon refers to guarding your heart. He really means the, the core of your person, your character, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, the will, the, the choices that make us who we are. And the Bible tells us that our thoughts often indicate who we are. The mind of a man reflects who he is. If you're constantly thinking about something, that's what you're going to become. It's not simply just the actions. It's inside that directs all that. That's why God examines the heart of the man, not simply his outward appearance. Just as there are many diseases and, and disorders that can affect the physical heart, there are ailments to our spiritual hearts that can impair our growth and development as a believer. Now, I am not a doctor. I have, and if any of you are studying this stuff, please forgive me. I am going to mispronounce all these words. I stud, I practiced, I even had Google open, and I heard how they said it, so I could practice, but that was three or four days ago, and I probably forgot. So just, all right, here we go. So, <laughs> I, I can't hear it anymore in my head. So, atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis. It's a hardening of the arteries, so you know what I mean. Okay, that's what it means. It's the hardening of the arteries due to accu accumulated cholesterol plaques and scarring on the artery walls. It hardens everything in there. Well, hardening of the spiritual heart also occurs... When you're presented with God's truth and we refuse to acknowledge it. 
We are shown the truth and we don't accept it. To guard your heart, you and I need to acknowledge and accept God's Word. When we hear God's Word, we cannot push it away like King Herod did. Because that hardens our hearts against Him. There are many things that harden our hearts and lead a person to deny God. Just like the cholesterol can uh, block blood flow. These keep believers from having the free flow of God's presence, His peace, and His blessings living in and through them. We need to guard against rebellious natures. Cultivate a spirit of submission to obedience. That was a word that sprung up in Sunday school. They said, that one hits me. We, we need to obey God. We need to have this so it guards our hearts. Another ailment in our physical heart. Heart murmurs are abnormal flow patterns due to faulty heart valves. Heart valves act as the doors to prevent the backward flow of the blood into our heart. We can have spiritual heart murmurs. When believers engage in complaining, gossip, dispute, contention, division. Believers, Christians, are instructed many times to avoid um, grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. One of my favorite verses I used as a parent, Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Do how many things? Everything. Go clean your room. But I, I, Philippians 2.14. Don't argue. Don't complain. But not just children, but God's children. How many times do we also argue and complain about things? When Christians engage in complaining and arguing, believers, we shift our focus away from God's plan, God's will, God's purposes, and we look to the world. It's not fair. How many of you love it when your kids say that to you? We do it to God all the time. Well, look what they got. Why can't that? It's not fair, God. And we quit looking at the cross and we look at the things of this world. We've got to start looking back at the blessings of God and not the things of this world. Because God sees that as a lack of faith when we check out the things of this world instead of Him. And without faith... It is impossible to please God. We looked at this verse the past few weeks, Hebrews 11.6. It is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. It is hard to argue and complain if we are constantly seeking God. So to guard your heart, do not argue or complain. Guarding against complaining spirit and cultivating a spirit of gratitude actually changes our focus and it's a step towards guarding our heart even better. There's another thing, um, congestive heart failure. It's the inability for the heart to successfully pump blood through the body due to the weakness within its own walls. It can happen because of hypertension, which is high blood pressure, myocardial infractions, Heart attacks and normal enlargement of the heart. These all happen to us physically. Well, the spiritual equivalents are anger, giving into temptation, and pride. Anger acts like a poison within our spiritual hearts. 
both mentally, emotionally, and physically, it actually affects us. And it makes believers more vulnerable to temptations to hurt other people with actions and words. Ephesians 4 says this, verse 31, Get rid of, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with all uh, every form of malice. Just stop and look at that verse. You know, when we have spring cleaning, what do we want to do? Get rid of it so it's not cluttering our life anymore. Well, that's what we say. You need to spring clean your life and get rid of it. It doesn't mean like, Maybe I want to use this again. Get rid of these things and then be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ got, uh, just as in Christ God forgave you. By these verses right here, we can see how to guard our hearts. To guard our hearts, we remove anger and replace it with compassion. Remove anger, replace it with compassion. It's easy to get angry. It's not easy to have compassion, which means it's a choice. It's a diligent, intentional choice. Every Christian is locked in a constant, intense war with demonic forces. And you need to know this. Many of us become so intent on finding the external uh, spiritual war that we forget how much our, bot, our battle is not with people. And we start associating the evil, the sin that is attacking us, and we put it on others, and then we attack them. James 1 says this in verse 14, Temptations come from our own desires, which dra- uh, entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Sin starts in our own minds, in our own hearts here. A sinner must first conceive and dwell on the sinful action before they actually carry it out. And the first line of defense, therefore, must be to refuse to even contemplate the wrongful action. The Apostle Paul tells us to take every thought captive so that it conforms to the will of God. You take it and you shove it into God's will. And whatever doesn't work goes away. You get rid of it. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us pride leads to destruction. 16 verse 5 says, The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Pride. Pride was the first great sin of Satan. He thought he was not just equal to God, but actually better than God. He incited one-third of the angels to attempt this coup and, and take over heaven. For that reason, Satan was cast from heaven. Satan also tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden by appealing to her ego. God didn't say that, but that you could be like him. Be like me is what he's saying, who's better than God. For God knows when you eat from this, your eyes will be open and you will be like or better than God, is what he's really saying. And she looked at it and said, hey, that sounds good. And so she took it. Pride is the downfall of man, of mankind. Satan 
did not want man to obey God, but to become his own God. That's what Satan wanted. So that mankind would determine for themselves their reality, their meaning, and ethics. Satan wants us to have pride that we can do it. Because that's what he does. I can make my own moral judgments. I can make my own ethics. I can handle all these things on my own. And we are saying we are God at that moment. It is a satanic philosophy that is the foundation, the foundational philosophy of sorcery and secular humanism as well as New Age mysticism. And so to guard your hearts, our hearts, we must be humble, not proud. Humble. That one I wanted to change, just so you know. I wrote this part, I'm like, I don't like that one. I want, to, I want to find a different thing. And I kept coming back to it. And I finally said, why is it that I don't like it? Well, because I'm not a humble person. That, that's really why I didn't. I mean, I'm good and I'm, I'm proud of that. Which is not humble. But then I start thinking about, well, you know, all these great things about Donnie. And then I put them next to God and I'm like, you know, I'm not that great. And I have to purposely choose to step back and let the light go to God. If we are sitting there trying to say, look at me, we are pretending to be God again. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest of all, said he is nothing. And he does say, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, look at me so you can see Jesus. He wants people to look at him, see Jesus, and then go further. Not to be him. And so where are you on those, those things to guard your heart? I, as I was looking at that list, those uh, five things there. Oh, I've only given you four. <laughs> no one really wants, let's, I'll move on to this first. No one really wants to be the bad guy when it comes to God. Which means we must avoid the same path that King Herod took. Avoid anger, pride, temptations are also critical elements of guarding our heart. And to fully guard your heart, we must follow this verse, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that word think actually means contemplate, dwell on continually. Never stop thinking about. And thinking on these things will help build this guardrail fence around your hearts. So the last way to guard our hearts is to dwell on godly principles. And so I started looking at them. Now I'll go to what I was going to say. These five things. I can accept God's word. It's his word. I, absolutely. I know that. Do not argue or complain. Yeah, but isn't this... A, see, there I was arguing and complaining with you, God. But I know it's true because it's in God's work. So therefore, I must accept it. Remove anger. You know why we get angry? Usually it's because we feel hurt. And we need to take that aside and focus on God. And then choose to be humble. All of this comes down to that last one, number five constantly thinking about godly principles. 
That person cuts you off in the road. Are you thinking about godly principles or your own timetable? You know, we, we had it one day, and, and oh my goodness, this guy. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Casey said, let's just choose to believe that they're trying to get to the hospital to see a loved one. Oh, that's a lot better. Yeah, I, I don't need to be mad at them anymore, do I? That person who has 27 items in the 13 or less aisle. Maybe they're in a rush too and they're just hoping to try and get to see grandma or something. Maybe they've had a bad day and they need some compassion on them instead of one more finger pointed at their failing. You know that time that somebody stood up front and told you how bad of a Christian you are? Oh my goodness, just sit down. Don't we all get that? If we start thinking about godly principles, choosing to be humble actually becomes easier. Letting go of pride is all in God's hands. Not holding on to anger and being compassionate, because that's a godly principle. Not arguing or complaining. How many of you have ever made your life better by complaining? So it doesn't work. So therefore, let's try the godly way, right? And then acknowledging and accepting God's word. It's the first one and the fifth one. Look at those. Accept God's word and um, dwell on those principles. When we do that, we don't have to worry about becoming Herod the Great. When we start thinking about God's words, accepting it and dwelling on it, then our lives start pointing to Jesus the Christ. When we start letting go of the anger and the complaining, and we start becoming more humble, we don't point to ourselves, we point to God the Father. Isn't that what we're all supposed to be doing? A lot of people have heard about Herod the Great. How many people have heard about you? Let's change that perspective a little bit. How many people in heaven, how many angels in heaven, and more importantly, God in heaven is up there saying, that's my child, look what they're doing. We care about a name here on earth. I want my name in the book of life. It's not about a legacy here. It's about a lifetime in eternity. And I'd rather have God say my name than my name written in the history books. And so let's quit being like Herod and choose to follow God. Let's stand and let's pray. God, Lord, I thank you that you came for the Herods of this world that you looked on them, looked on me, and knew that we were not worth it, and still yet you chose to die for our sins, to pour out your love, your grace, and your mercy. God, forgive us. Forgive me. When I try to stand on our own, when we try to uphold our own righteousness and not lifting up you. God, fill us again once more with the awe of your word. Help us fill our mind with the greatness of your godliness. Take away our distractions, God. 
and keep our eyes focused on you. God, I ask right now, not just my heart, but the heart of this whole congregation, that you would come and put a hedge around us because we will fail in trying to guard us, but you never will. Help us to rely on that, to trust in that, so that we too can one day say, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at what you have done in our life and share that with others. And as we come back now to to lift up our voice and our minds and our hearts, help us, God, to unify them, to bring them into one, to proclaim not just truth, but your worthiness, your glory, and our love of you. And in your name we pray and we sing. Amen. Amen.